Well, thank you, and uh, good morning. Welcome to uh, Cornerstone, everybody. And uh, it's, it's a great pleasure, a great honor to be here uh, to, to share God's word with you this morning. So we're looking at the book of Acts, and uh, we're, we're asking the question of, uh, of what was inspiring um, the apostles uh, to, to do the work of God in uh, Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, I want to talk about what it means uh, for the apostles. This was kind of like home field. This was their, their home ground. This was their territory. This was their community. This was the place where it all started. And, uh, and I, want to encourage, I want to encourage us today, and I want to ask the question, uh, what, what was inspiring the apostles to be such a positive force in their community? Um, I want to I look at what it was that they were doing in Jerusalem that had such an effect that spilled out into uh, what we see here today. And so uh, let's just imagine for a second um, that, that you are a first century traveler. You're, you're kind of, you're, you're moving around the, the area and you come into Jerusalem and you've heard that many incredible things are happening in this city. Uh, you've heard uh, these rumors of this man named Jesus who, uh, who was in the city earlier. And you, you may have even heard things like uh, the Roman officials, the Jewish officials had, had killed this man and he had somehow risen from the dead. You may have heard some of these, these things and, and we see those things recorded in the earlier gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and, and so the book of Acts is a continuation of uh, actually... To be very specific, the book of Luke, it's actually written by the same guy. Luke wrote both the book of Luke and the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And so, um, and so you're, you're traveling and you're, you're coming into Jerusalem. There's this buzz. You're a little bit curious. You're wondering what, what has been going on. I want to hear the story from somebody that's, that's actually here. I want to know what's going on. And you see this group of men off in the distance. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, these guys look a little bit funny. They look a little bit odd. Because it's, you know, it's like three in the afternoon and these guys are stumbling around uh, and, and, and they're giddy. They're giddy. They're kind of excited. They've got this buzz about them, but they can't seem to stand up. They're walking all over the place. They're stumbling. And you, you think to yourself, this group of men, they're drunk at three o'clock in the afternoon. What is going on here? And, uh, and, and you're a curious person. I'm not always the most curious person. I see something dangerous and I'm like, I'll stay at least 10 feet away. And, but you, you are curious. You see these people and you decide you're going you're gonna to approach them. You're going you're gonna to find out what's actually going on. Because you want to you wanna know if some of these rumors are true. You want to know uh, what's going on with this specific group of people. And, and so you approach them. And, and you get closer. And you realize there's, there's definitely something weird going on. Uh, because if, if you look at them, these men, the reason why they're stumbling around is because they're injured. Um, they're, they're actually very badly injured. Uh, some of their backs 
are completely scraped apart. The flesh is, is, is torn off. And, and, and these men, they're, they're, they're bloody and they're, they're, it looks like they're, they're very injured. They can't stand up. And so um, you, again, you're, do you ever have those friends who like ask too many questions? They get themselves involved in situations that it's like, okay, why did you ask that question? Why did you go a little bit further? You're that friend today, okay? You're that person. You're going to dive a little bit further. You approach these men and you say, what's, what's going on? Why, why are you guys injured? And excitedly, excitedly, they turn around and they're like, we just got flogged. We were just beaten up. And, and they're, they're excited about it. Now you're, now you're going, okay, these guys may not be drunk, but they're on drugs. That's very presumptuous of you, by the way. Um, and, 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 so, and so you're looking at these men and you're like, okay, why are you happy? What is, what is going on? Why, you, you've just been very badly beaten. What's happening? You ask the question. And so I would imagine it would go something like this. A, a man might come forward and introduce himself he might say his name is Peter, and he's like, I'm kind of the leader of this group, okay? And so Peter would approach you, and um, he, would, he would start retelling the story of what happened, what led them to this place that you see them in today. And, and I think that he would start the story, um, Acts 3. I think he would start somewhere there because we are going to get a little bit of a shorter story. I think if he was really going to start, he'd start at Luke 1. But we're going to get the short story here today. We're going to, we're going to hear um, Peter's version of, of how they got to this place where they were flogged and excited about it. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you want, you can, you can follow along on the screen there. Um, so Acts 3, 2 to 6. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put day after day to beg from those uh, going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. And I... I don't know about you guys, but when I read the Bible, sometimes I have like the silliest interpretation of what is going on. And I read this and I see Peter and John approaching this man and just staring at him straight in the face. They're, they're doing like this staring contest with this man and they say, look at us. Um, and so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this man who had never walked in his entire life got up and he walked. And it said he was, he was celebrating, he was joyful, he was praising God for what had happened. And it says that these men then moved into the temple courts and, and they, started, they started talking because everybody in the temple courts in that moment would have passed this man 
day after day after day. And they would have been extremely curious. They would have been wondering, what has happened to this man? How is he walking? There's, I don't know, we, we had given up hope on this man. And today he's walking in the temple courts. And so they, they are curious too. And they ask Peter, what happened? How did this man start walking? And Peter begins to preach to the people. He begins to say, it is because of Jesus that this man is healed before you today. It is because of Jesus and the fact that he has risen from the dead that this man is healed before you today. And, and what, what we see here, what we see here is Peter and John and the apostles, they're continuing the work that Jesus began. This was the kind of thing that Jesus would do right? He would heal people. He would, he would work and restore relationships with people. He would even go as far as forgiving them of their sins. And, and this was the command that, that these people were given, the apostles were given at the very beginning of the book of Acts. They said, go out into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, into the ends of the earth and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And what they are doing is they are showing, they are showing these people that the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is here. And this is what it looks like. It looks like healing. It looks like restoration. It looks like forgiveness. And, and, and so what happens is a whole bunch of people hear this message and they're excited and, and, and they decide that they want to convert. They want to become believers in this Jesus who is saving and healing people here and now. And, and it says that thousands converted. But this upset some of the religious leaders. And so as we continue, Acts 4, 2 to 5 says, this is about the religious leaders. Um, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter uh, and John because of it. It was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, uh, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called account today for an act of kindness, okay, if you guys are upset that we did something good here, or you, if you're upset about this act of kindness, if you're upset because this man is healed, says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man 
before you is healed. And it's interesting that this comes from the mouth of Peter. If you're familiar with Peter's story, um, Peter, when Jesus was being crucified, actually denied even knowing the man. He said, I have no idea who this person is. And now what we see is Peter is dragged in front of, who did they list there? Annas and Caiaphas. These are the very men who crucified Jesus. The very same people. And Peter says unashamedly, you want to know why this man was healed? You want to know? Well, the guy that you crucified, it's in his name that, these peop- that this man is healed today. Peter all of a sudden has this boldness that he never had before. And, and another interesting thing about this, this passage that we just read is, is we, we were led to ask a couple of questions. Why are they upset? What is the problem? Uh, This man is healed and a ton of people actually put their faith in God. A ton of people put their faith in God that day. And and, and again, when we look into the motives of Annas and Caiaphas, um, what we see is that the Jewish leaders at the time were were one of the highest authorities for the Jewish people. And, and, and what we see happening here is because that this man is being healed in the name of Jesus, these men are being threatened. Their power is being threatened. All of the sudden, there is a higher authority. And that's seen in, in Peter here. This is shown in Peter. Peter says, I'm, I'm not scared of you. Listen, you tried to crucify Jesus, you tried to kill him, and God raised him from the dead. Who am I supposed to fear? Am I supposed to fear you? Well, you threw your worst at him, and it, didn't, it couldn't stop him. So I've got I've to put my allegiance in Jesus. And so what happens is Peter and John, they're set free. They're told, hey, don't preach in this man's name anymore. And notice, notice this. We're going we're gonna to read a section again later. But notice this. They won't even say his name. They won't say Jesus' name. These, these leaders, these high priests, they, they will not say his name. And I think that that has something to do with the fact that they are, they are very scared. They're intimidated. They know that something's coming. They know that something's happening. And so Peter and John, they're set free and... and, and they're told, don't preach in this man's name again. So what's the first thing they do? They go out and they start talking about Jesus again. And, and what's happening is people are being healed. Relationships are being restored. People's sins are being forgiven. And, and it says that there's even some, some crazy miraculous things that are happening. Even the apostles' shadows are healing people. And it's, it's this idea, it's this presence of the kingdom of God coming here and now. And they're, they're beginning to see it first in Jerusalem, in that home base. And so uh, they're, they're caught again. <laughs> they're caught again because they're, they're preaching very close to the temple. And uh, they're put in prison again. And this time, an angel breaks them free in the middle of the night. And so they're like, okay, this is a, that was a close call. I think this time we'll, we'll make a run for it. We'll leave Jerusalem and uh, 
this whole thing will be done. Right? That's what they do? No, the angel breaks them free and they run immediately back into the temple courts and they start preaching again right where the high priests are, right in their backyard. And they, they just show this, this extreme lack of fear of these people who supposedly are supposed to have all this authority over them. And it's, it's very upsetting to the high priests. And, and what we'll read again, one second, <laughs> 528, uh, Acts 528. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. They won't say his name. Uh, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other, the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. The high priests, they're, they're, they're completely upset. And what are they going to do? They're going to throw their worst at him, they're, at, at the apostles. They're going to throw their worst at them. They're going to put them to death. But maybe one of them is like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't we just try this? Didn't we just try this? Um, and, and, and in fact, there's, there's, there's a man who stands up. There's a high priest who, who stands up. His name is Gamaliel. And uh, we read later on that he was actually Paul's uh, mentor. Okay? And so this guy, this guy's a pretty big deal. And, and what he does is he stands up in front of these high priests and he says, listen, We've seen movements like this happen before. And he gives an example. He says, um, you know, there was, there was this guy earlier and he gathered 400 followers and then he died and the movement died with him. And, and then there was another guy. He had 500 followers. Uh, but as soon as he died, the movement died with him. He says, listen, if this movement is, is not from God, it's going to die. And if it is from God, we're just going to find ourselves fighting against God. And a lot of people take, take this moment and they say, oh, this guy's, you know, the voice of reason. He's, he's very, um, he's being very sensible. He's, he's looking and he's saying like, oh, maybe it is something from God. But in reality, this is the guy that orders Paul to go out and kill Christians later on. We, we know that this guy is actually severely underestimating this movement. He is severely underestimating what is happening. And, and the, apostles, the apostles know it. And th this, this kind of statement, this statement that he makes, kind of reminds me, has anybody heard of a guy named Bill Gates? Okay, Microsoft founder, CEO, billionaire, all that stuff. Um, in 2004, so think back, 2004, um, in 2004, Bill Gates said this. Give it two years. Spam email, it's a thing of the past. It's a thing of the past. And I don't know about you guys, 
but I probably spent 15 minutes earlier today deleting spam email. I'm just constantly getting it. And, and that's a situation where he has severely underestimated the situation. And I, I believe that that's what's happening with these high priests. They're severely underestimating the situation. They think that they can somehow stop it. Acts 5, 40. So this is talking about this, this speech that Gamaliel makes. Um, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. For those of you who don't know what flogging is, it's, it's a painful um, process. It's, it's whipping someone. Uh, usually what they would do is they would have these, these whips with different amounts of tails, sometimes up to nine or ten tails, and on the ends of those tails, they would have rocks and teeth and sharp things embedded in them. This was a brutal way of punishing someone. And so these apostles are getting flogged. Then they are ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The worst is being thrown at them and they just, they can't stop. And what we end up seeing is we see that Jerusalem is actually being healed. We see that there are people in Jerusalem that are actually being healed. Relationships are actually being reconciled. Sins are actually being forgiven. And and the question then that, that we have to do is we have to turn this on ourselves. We have to go back to that question. We have to ask why, why they were, what it was that the apostles had. What, what was inspiring them to change their community in such a way? And I think we need to start asking how can we inspire our communities? How can we bring about the kingdom of God here and now? It's not, about, it's not about someday far off. We actually have an opportunity to bring the kingdom of God here and now. And I think that we can see some of those, some of those, those markers in the disciples. And we're going to kind of work backwards and these points are going to build on themselves. And so first, I think what the apostles had is they had grabbed a hold of Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission of healing and reconciliation and forgiveness. They had grabbed a hold of that. And we saw that early on. That was the first thing that they did. Was they went out and they started healing people. And, and, and I wonder, sometimes the church, sometimes the church, do we really believe that that is our mission? Do we really believe that our mission is to bring about healing and reconciliation and forgiveness in our communities? If we read the Gospels, we know that it was Jesus' mission. And we're asked to grab a hold of that mission. And, and, and I don't think that that's something that's easily done because we run into obstacles. We run into stumbling blocks. We run into things that get in our way. We run into, as the apostles did, the high priests. 
we run into um, things that kind of seem discouraging. And so the other thing that the apostles had, the other thing that we can see in the apostles is they saw obstacles as opportunities for obedience. How's that for alliteration? Right? Obstacles, opportunities for obedience. They, they, every time something got in the way, um, you look at the very beginning, this movement is not very well known. Nobody really knows who they are. Um, and, and so sometimes it's hard to get traction when nobody knows who you are. And they say, that's okay. We're going to go out and we're just going to do it. And then they get noticed and somebody tries to put a roadblock in their way. And they say, that's okay. We're going to keep doing it. Every time an obstacle comes in their way, they see it as an opportunity to just show further obedience to Jesus. To show further allegiance to Jesus. So when the jail breaks open, they saw that as an opportunity. They didn't see it as like, oh, now we can leave. We're free. They saw it as an opportunity to be obedient to Jesus. And even, even in their suffering, even in their flogging, even in their pain, they saw it as an opportunity to be obedient. And this is why they rejoiced. Because they knew, they knew just like Jesus had suffered, that they too would suffer and that it would be an opportunity for them to be obedient. And they considered it a pure joy when they found out, hey, we can do this. We can be obedient. And I wonder what would happen if we as a church got a hold of this and we said, okay, when something gets in our way, how can we be obedient? Instead of just throwing up our hands and saying, well, I guess it's done. I guess the whole thing's over with. But rather we saw those obstacles as opportunities. Now, I'll be honest. These first two points here, they're a little bit Oprah Winfrey. It's like, you know, go out into the community, do good things, um, see people being healed. It, it all sounds kind of fluffy and nice. And, and we go down and we, we say, like, look at the obstacles as a way to, like, just persevere, okay? And, and I think a lot of people can get on board with that. Don't let the man get you down. <laughs> um, I think that these two points are, are almost somewhat worldly, but I do believe that there was a reason why the apostles were able to do these things. And it's something that is very uniquely Christian. And so the third point, they believed that Jesus was the highest authority and that he had empowered them with the Holy Spirit. You see this time and time again, they're brought in front of the, uh, the, the high priests, the temple courts, and, and they're told, listen, you know the rules, don't do this. And they say, there's somebody greater than you. There's somebody bigger than you, and he's given us a different mission. And, and, and I think that there are times that we in the church, we struggle with this one. We, we struggle, we struggle to say that Jesus actually is the highest authority. And so when, you know, somebody down the street tells me, oh, you can't do that. 
or, or when, when the government tells us, well, you can't say that. We, we get a little fearful. But what we see here is the apostles were not fearful because they knew that Jesus was actually the higher authority. They knew that Jesus, Jesus had power over these people and whatever they could do was something temporary. Why did they believe that Jesus was the highest authority? Well, they believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that meant that the world was a radically different place. We just celebrated Easter. We've, we've talked about the resurrection. And um, I, think, I think we forget that the resurrection is, is the point. It is the central thing that we as Christians, everything is going to flow out from this. Because if we believe that the resurrection actually happened, if we believe that the world is different because of it, we will believe that Jesus is the highest authority. We will understand that whatever he's called us to do, we're going to be able to do it. And even obstacles that get in our way, we're going to see them as opportunities to be, to show our allegiance even further to Jesus. And, and, and this is what we see Peter saying, right? Right? We see him saying, we are witnesses to this. Listen, you don't understand. I know that you think that you've got the power. And to be honest, maybe a couple of months ago, if you had brought me here in the court and you had told me not to do something, I probably would have listened to you. But here's the thing. I saw that man alive. I saw him alive. I have to listen to him now. I don't, I don't have a choice the world is different. You are no longer in power. Jesus is in power. And I have to listen to him. And, and this, this, this is what we call the good news. We, we throw that term around. We throw the, the term gospel around. We throw that term good news around. And I think we don't take some time to unpack it. The word news itself it means something has happened that changes the way things are. That's what news is. I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes growing up in a small town, uh, the paper will publish some things. And you know, like occasionally it's like, it was a nice day out today, so Susie sat on her lawn blowing bubbles. And that's the front page of the newspaper. The newspaper. And you know it's a slow news day when something like that happens. You know why? Because that is a fact. That is something that happened. But it's not really news. It's not really news because it doesn't change anything about me. It doesn't change the way things are. See, real news is about things that, that, that have changed Things. And so what, what is going on here is the apostles, they're saying, listen, there is good news. Something has happened. The world is a different place now. There is somebody else who's in charge. The resurrection has shown us that God is actually the one in charge. That Jesus, the one who he has seated at his right hand, is the one who's in charge. And that causes us to change the way that we behave. And so I want to I I say here today that if the good news doesn't cause us to change at all, 
then it's not really news. For some people, I think the resurrection is just the happy ending. Like, oh, we don't have to worry because he raised from the dead. But it is good news. It is good news. And so that means that the resurrection actually changes things. It actually means something new is happening. And what Jesus called the apostles to, he is calling us to as well. That we be agents of change in our community, that we be, that we be bringers of, of healing, that we be bringers of rec- reconciliation. And sometimes we, we see this story and we think, oh, we got to wait for the miraculous. We got to wait for um, the man who hasn't been walking his entire life to get up and walk. And that's when we'll start doing things. But I want to ask you the question, is it any less miraculous when a marriage on the brink of divorce finds healing and reconciliation and forgiveness? Is it any less miraculous when the person down the street suffering from and illness is visited in the hospital and that gives them hope? Is it any less miraculous when, when somebody who has done you wrong can actually be forgiven? Is it any less miraculous? See, the disciples believed that the world was a totally different place. And I just want to and this is, this is one of my favorite kind of quotes. And this is, this is a paraphrase. This is kind of in my own words. So don't look it up at, as is. But forgiveness of sins was and is a fact about the way the world was and is. This is talking about the disciples. It is rooted in the accomplishment on the cross, revealed in his resurrection, and put to work, put to work through the Spirit in the transformed lives of his followers. This reality can only be perceived through faith in Jesus' death-defeating resurrection. See, the disciples believed that the good news, the good news was that all of the powers, because of the resurrection, all of the powers that had authority over them no longer had authority over them. Jesus had won a victory on the cross through his death and suffering because of his resurrection. They believed that the world was a radically different place. And I think, I really think that if we, the North American church, if we, the Western church, if we, the church, the global church can get a hold of this, if we can actually understand that the world changed 2,000 years ago, the world actually changed. And if we started living the way that we talk, the way that we say that we believe, I really think that we will see our communities healed. We will see relationships restored. And we will see people experience real forgiveness of their sins. And they, they too will begin to walk in the light of the good news. And so I want to encourage you that it starts at home. It starts home base. It starts in our communities. It starts in North Gore. And you guys have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to bring that in to our community. And that's why we want people to feel inspired. We want people to go out and to bring the good news to our communities.
to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Because we really believe, we really believe that there is power in this, that, that something has happened, that the world is different and people need to know that and people need to live in it. I'm just gonna close in prayer. And Lord God, I thank you so much that you, you are active in your creation. You have entered into the story. You have um, not left us here alone. You have um, actually shown us what it is to live life and to live life well. And not only that, God, you have shown that you you are the one in charge. You are the highest authority. And so, God, we, we ask that our hearts be submitted here this morning. And I pray for those who are struggling with, with submitting certain areas of their life and saying, Jesus can have full authority here. I, I ask this for myself, God, that you would reveal to me the places that I have not given over to you the places where I have not believed this, that you have ultimate authority, that you have final say. I pray, God, that we would realize this because I know, I know that when we believe this, when, when we really, really believe this, that we will see an impact in our community. We will see an impact in our loved ones. We will see an impact in our families. God, I pray that we would grab hold of this and I pray that your kingdom would be shown, your kingdom would be revealed through your church. And I pray this in Jesus' name.